sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. This is a segment that I'm going to call It's Not About Rights. And this is a very strange topic for me because my whole career as an attorney, as an advocate for religious liberty, has been to assert rights, to defend rights, to protect rights, especially religious freedom. And today around the country, there's a number of lawsuits that have been filed on behalf of churches that are asserting a whole package of rights religious freedom, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, etc., and claiming that government is infringing upon those rights. We're going to talk in a little bit about kind of the legal analysis and why most of the courts are rejecting those claims. But I want to first just take more of a, a theological and a religious perspective on this thing, uh, put on my minister's hat for a minute, because frankly, from my perspective, this is not about rights. You know, it's really about how best to safeguard people's lives. You know, government is not shutting down churches out of some kind of misguided hostility to religion. That's not what it's about. All public gatherings have been shut down. Churches have not been singled out, for the most part, you know, for being shut down when other types of gatherings now, there's a comparison that people like to make that gets a lot of people's emotional motors going. Oh, well, the liquor stores are open. People can go to Home Depot. In certain states, marijuana dispensaries are open. How is it that these places can be considered essential, but churches are not essential? Well, nobody is saying that our faith is not essential, that our belief in God is not essential, that the communities of faith are not essential. What they're saying is public gatherings in a time of pandemic crisis are not essential. And frankly, that's true. You know, I get frustrated when I hear preachers invoking, you know, forget if it's First or Second Corinthians 10.26, which says, you know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Um, well, yeah, okay, so we're not supposed to, you know, forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we're not supposed to assemble together if it's at the risk of life and limb. That just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, we're commanded to continue meeting together, even if people are going to get sick and die from it. Come on. That just, you know, to say that that's the, the foundation for asserting rights um, is ludicrous, in my view. It makes no theological sense whatsoever, and it really becomes part of a political effort. Uh, and if you look at where these cases are being filed, they're being filed in by religious conservatives against uh, democratic governments. And for the most part, they're trying to find friendly judges in these states to file. That was certainly the case in, in Oregon and Kentucky and other places. So, you know, within this whole effort to assert rights, what I'm hearing in my conversations with 
you know, pastors who are supporting these and lawyers who are supporting these is, and I'm having lots of these conversations, um, there is a very strong strain of anti-government sentiment running through this. Oh, the government's our enemy. The government is hostile to religion. Well, where is this coming from? It's the fruit uh, going back to the Reagan era, the government's the problem. It's a whole ethos of anti-government sentiment coming home to roost. And frankly, it has the potential to cause people to die. You know, people will die because of it. So already we're starting to see in places like Georgia and Texas where they reopened early and where churches were allowed to meet early, where some churches are now shutting down again because people have gotten sick and people have died because they have attended some of these churches. So the notion that, you know, everybody wants to go back to church and what? Go back to church and wear masks and not be able to greet each other and hug each other and you have to stay far apart from everybody? I'd rather see everybody on, on a Zoom conference call. You know, I don't want to get somebody sick, and I don't want somebody to get me sick. I'm not ready to take the risk of going back to church. But there uh, certainly is a strong movement afoot to reopen churches. Here in California, as we're recording, 3,000 churches have declared that they will reopen on Pentecost on May 31st, with or without government approval. One of the leaders of that movement used the term himself, rebellion. He called it a rebellion. Now, I point you to Paul's recitation of the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit, and I don't see rebellion among them. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, self-control. I think I'm leaving some out, but, uh, you know, this is not the fruit of the Spirit to be in rebellion against government. Now, I come from a Jewish family, and so one of my least favorite passages in all of Paul's writings and all of the Bible is Romans 13, because the Lutheran church in Germany relied on Romans 13 and the call to respect government and to obey the laws, you know, that uh, undergirded their support for the Nazi regime and, and, you know, the Holocaust. So I don't like Romans 13. But it's there in the Bible, and it, you know, applied properly, you know, it's sound biblical wisdom, right? That our default attitude towards government is one of respect, one of praying for our officials, one of obedience to the laws. So is this a situation where we ought to obey God rather than man? And by obeying God, that means we're going to put our brothers and sisters' lives on the line? and risk people dying, because pastors have died, church members have died. This is real, folks. I don't think this is a situation of, oh, well, we have to obey God rather than man and exercise civil disobedience. I just think that's completely absurd. So there's a better way. The better way, in my view, is there's absolutely a need for uh, the faith community and local governments to be communicating with one another. We have to be communicating and creating an atmosphere where, where there's buy-in, where there's cooperation, where we can rebuild trust. Because without that, yeah, we'll have more and more rebellion. 
Enforcement is not a viable option. It's not a desirable option. Enforcement is not something that state and local governments are engaging in to any great extent around the country as far as, you know, trying to shut down churches or, or uh, you know, somehow enforce the, uh, you know, the restrictions on churches. No, we need cooperation. We need buy-in. And that's where freedom comes from. We don't need laws if we do the right thing because it is right. Where there are laws is when we're doing the wrong thing, and so we need laws to restrain us so that we will do the right thing. If we were doing the right thing in the first place, we wouldn't need to have restrictions. And so what we need is more communication. So if some of you who are listening are pastors, are members of faith, you know, clergy associations, if some of you are in local government, see that those conversations are taking place. Get buy-in. Work together on how and when to reopen safely. That's going to be critical. Now, I started by saying this is not about rights. So let me just uh, put my lawyer's hat on for a minute and tell you why I'm convinced it's not about rights. So first of all, Post-1990, in a Supreme Court decision in Employment Division against Smith, the basic rule for our free exercise rights, our religious freedom rights, when it comes to practicing our faith, is that government can't single out religion for harsh, discriminatory treatment. As long as government's treating us the same as everybody else, then it doesn't violate the First Amendment. And for the most part, that is exactly what's taking place. All public gatherings are being forbidden. And as I said earlier, the comparison is not with the liquor stores. You know, you may think that the liquor stores should be shut down. That's a completely separate issue. Whether people, you know, where people can go and buy products is a very different question from where people can go and gather together. That's the category of gatherings. So that category includes concert halls theaters. It includes sports arenas, right? Places where people gather for entertainment or for worship, something like that. Um, Even restaurants are not a viable comparison because when restaurants reopen, as they have in some places and will continue in others, the whole process is that family groups will be able to sit together, but they will be separated from other groups so that it will be safe. You're not going to go there to mingle with others outside of your immediate group that you're presumably already mingling with. So it doesn't pose any enhanced risk other than the interactions with the serve staff and the like. So it's a limited a limited type of risk, far more limited than what we have at church. So for the most part, the overall restrictions on public gatherings are non-discriminatory and they're legal. Now, even in those states that have a stronger protection, they have religious freedom acts that uh, protect free exercise of religion more strongly than what uh, the First Amendment has been interpreted at, that system is known as strict scrutiny. And in those situations, the analysis is a little different. So you look at these restrictions on public gatherings, and you ask, first of all, does it restrict uh, the free exercise of religion, sincerely held religious beliefs? Yes, it does. Okay. 
Uh, are those restrictions according to a compelling state interest? Yes, public health, clearly all the courts are gonna say it's a compelling state interest. Saving lives has gotta be the number one compelling state interest. Then the question becomes, well, can you um, achieve that compelling state interest without infringing on the religious interest, the religious liberty interest? In other words, is there a way to protect public health uh, and still allow the churches to meet? Now, I'll grant you that there is disagreement on this, and those who are advocating reopening insist that, yes, we can reopen safely. Well, the record of deaths associated with churches suggests that there's at least a dispute of fact about that. So far, courts are resolving that question for the most part by saying, um, no, in order to protect public health, we have to restrict all public gatherings, including churches, and we can't allow churches to meet. Uh, that would undermine achieving the compelling state interest of saving lives. And there's certainly evidence to support that view. Uh, by the time you hear this, there may be courts that rule the other way. You know, that's uh, kind of the nature of, of the courts. But that's the analysis that they're going to use. And of course, the, the last type of um, restriction has to do with shelter at home rules. And the shelter in place rules clearly apply to everybody and they have no, uh, you know, no discriminatory impact on, on churches. Uh, so where it really comes down is, well, there's two considerations. So we're out of time. We're going to have to take those up in another discussion. I hope this has been helpful to you. As we close, friends, remember here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. That's churchstate, all one word, churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, keep freedom ringing. <laughs>